do I love the the dulcet tones of Rob Zombie. That was Rob Zombie with Living Dead Girl, uh, I believe off of his... Is that that, that his debut album? What's that album? Hillbilly Deluxe? Hillbilly Deluxe, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's his debut, but it's like... It's (laughs) Ron Howard's Hillbilly Deluxe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh living dead girl was on the hillbilly deluxe rob zombie album it's on the bride of chucky soundtrack it's featured prominently in the film and the opening titles uh there's another rob zombie song or a white zombie song featured in the movie dragula doesn't make an appearance for those on dragula watch um (laughs) but this is the new flesh podcast a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror and the horror lifestyle which uh i'm just throwing this out there this week includes those giant skeletons they sell at home depot uh, <laughs> it's those the most are a- horror lifestyle thing you can buy at home depot i think yeah i feel like it's it's pretty reasonably priced for how gigantic it is. There's one in my neighborhood. Uh, I, I I don't know the person who put it up, but I love them inherently. Like, they I have it around great. all year, year round, not just Halloween. No, it was around for a while. I haven't okay. seen it in a while, so I'm hoping it makes another appearance this year. I believe they're selling variants now of the giant skeleton. He's doing different stuff. Um, so giant skeleton at Home Depot, definitely a part of the horror lifestyle. Uh, also living the horror lifestyle is our returning guest four weeks in a row now. But if, if you don't count the new release episodes, uh, <laughs> Lewis Peitzman is here. Returning Hello. champion. Tournament of champions. What is this? Escape room tournament of champions? <laughs> we should be so lucky. Yes. Uh, thank you, Lewis, for returning. We're talking about Bride of Chucky today. If the Rob Zombie soundtrack didn't give it away, that we are now in the year 1998. Uh, one year off from the horrific uh, hallmark we all know, the Woodstock 99, that has now been immortalized in a not very good HBO documentary. That Moby features, tried to warn us. Yeah, that features a little too much scolding from Moby. 
this is another topic that'll that'll be that'll kill in the four weeks <laughs> that it takes <laughs> to get to this episode in real time. Complain Everyone will be talking Moby, about Woodstock '99, right? Complaining about Moby's scolding is evergreen because Moby's yeah. always scolding about something. Yeah, he always pops up with takes. Everyone's like, dude, shut up. Like, Natalie Portman outed you as a creep if you hadn't already done that with your, you know, life in public. So uh, he's he's canceled for all intents and purposes on the New Flesh podcast. You will never see us booking Moby. Not again. We will not book Moby again. I bet if Moby reached out and was like, I really want to talk about... I don't know. You're right. You just Something. read me like a fucking book. If, if Moby called, if Moby's publicist hit me up, he would be, we would be talking about whatever the fuck Moby wanted. Moby's like, I want to talk about House of a Thousand Corpses <laughs> right now. I'm getting you on the phone. Perfect. We've already done it probably. We're doing it again. We got to hear what <laughs> Moby's take is. Um. So before we talk about Bride of Chucky, the main event, we will be talking about the fourth Fear Street film, Fear Street Part 4, 2046. <laughs> it's set on a spaceship. Um, you may not have seen it. Netflix is doing all it can to bury it. They're not They're not happy with it. This is, uh, the, this is the Wong Kar Wai uh, Fear Street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they didn't get him, but it's 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 his it's his non-Yunun equivalent. It's... Got it. It's, yeah. it's, it's an homage. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I do, I do joke, but like there will be more Fear Street. We know this. Yeah, there yeah. There will probably be my 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 prediction right now. My bold prediction is that there will be another movie, probably more than one movie, and also a, a series. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So you're Lewis is putting all his chips in on Fear Street on Netflix. I'm not like I mean I I don't think they gain anything from this. In fact, <laughs> and hate it. as someone who's currently watching American Horror Stories. And is this a new thing? Oh, I mean, I would assume that as someone part of the horror lifestyle, you would know. I do not watch Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story, but is this is this are you telling me there's a new American Horror Story season and it's called American Horror Stories? No, there's a new American Horror Story season coming soon. There's a new American Horror Story spinoff confusingly called American Horror Stories. It's I just fell back in my chair. It's an anthology series and it has like, it's confusing because, you know, they sort of like originally were like, it was an, the whole show was like an anthology series where each season was a different story. Is it not that anymore? It is that, but he decided that they were all connected. And so it's become more and more weird, like fan servicey. What if these characters met these characters and killed each other? Like that kind of thing. Does Zachary Kinto come back? It's, uh, I believe it's Quinto. Um, Ooh, Quinto. I famously well, ran into him at the uh, Lake Tahoe Air or the Reno Tahoe Airport. I uh, can't even pronounce his name. Um, no, well, not yet, but it, there are a lot of like, there are character and plot overlaps from American Horror Story proper. And even though, like, I so far am really not into American Horror Stories, I'm also like a disgusting completist who will watch things because they exist and i feel like i've watched all of american horror stories so far for some reason and now i feel like i have to watch american horror stories and like it's just not it's not good and i've seen the first three episodes okay. did not talk to you about this but now i'm just ranting about it i don't know it just like it it you know ryan murphy horror to me is like its own thing that 
I find really bothersome. And he also did Scream Queens, right? Yes. I didn't watch that either, but what is was that a was that a beloved thing? Am I right to think that people like that? Um people liked the first season. I didn't, but people liked it. <laughs> people the second season of that show is one of the worst seasons of television I've ever seen. Um and I is think there people, more than that? Got it. No, it was canceled. It was canceled. Okay. And it was like I think the the, the like real like sad thing about that was like Jamie Lee Curtis saying that she waited for like a brilliant script before she would do a shower scene homage to psycho and her idea of a brilliant script was whatever they were doing <laughs> in screen Queens. Anyway, talk about Marianne Murphy all day. Not the point. I just, uh, I don't even well, know. Oh yeah. Cause I, cause I want it. Cause that made me think that like fear street will become like the fear street film series. And then we'll spin off into like fear streets or some sort of like, you know, episodic fear road. You never, I mean, they also like, because the, it's RL Stein, like they, there's so many like infinite stories they could, they could use if they wanted as like a jumping off point. But anyway, it's all, well, it's all shitty. I'm waiting for Ryan Murphy to for the nine one one characters to show up in American Horror well, Story. That, well, I, I love nine one one. Nine one one is the best show on TV. Nine one one and nine one one Lone Star I legitimately love because I think like that like Ryan Murphy excess works really well in like procedural format like that. Like it, I love all that shit. Like people, if you don't know what nine one one is, first of all, it's on Hulu and you should enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. It's as he's saying, a procedural show where it's basically like nine one one dispatch. So it's like nine one one, what's going on? And someone's like, like there's snakes in my toilet or something. Yes, there, there, there's shit like that. Yeah, there's like a guy. I think I remember one where isn't there like a guy in a balloon and he like keeps going up. Yeah, there's like a real life balloon, but these are like the, these are your, these are early nine one one episodes. The show. Yeah, you see, I haven't I haven't seen very much of it. Okay, well, yes, highly recommended. It. Yeah, it's it's that, and then there's a spinoff nine one one Lone Star it takes place. In Rob Tech Lowe, Earth. Rob Lowe is on that. Um, it's great. It's like not great, but it's great. I much prefer it to Ryan Murphy's horror output. Hundred percent, and he's oh god, is he also behind the crime stories yes. and the and the uh, the yeah, I guess that's what I was thinking of. I wasn't say the Versace thing and the OJ thing. God, right. Ryan Murphy's eating, as the kids would say. Well, yeah, days. he gets like he gets deals to keep making more. American Crime Story is actually good, but yes. like, uh, especially. But at what season. cost? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. The, very, the, the Johnny Versace season is very good and super underrated. I uh, thought so too. And uh, I'm very excited about the next one, which is about the Clinton impeachment because uh, Monica Lewinsky is a producer. And like, I feel like she, her presence will curb his terrible impulses. <laughs> I hope so. I hope you're right. Um, I work at Yahoo news with a, I would say kind of famous, well, a famous journalist named Michael Isikoff, who's has many claims to fame, but one of them is he was working on the Monica Lewinsky story before it broke and was like in negotiations with whatever publication he was at. I think it was Newsweek about publishing it and going through all the lawyery stuff you have to do. And then Jud Drudge Report famously scooped him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think Isikoff, my colleague who I am on a calls with all the time, will uh, potentially be played by somebody on this show. So I'm excited for that reason, selfishly, because I have to make this about me. Lewis. That's all right. I mean, 
I had I, to. Uh, I, I decided to bring up American Horror Stories. And uh, I, I'm glad you did because a lot of horror fans watch it. And I'm just, it's something I'm not well versed in because I was in college when it started and I definitely watched the first two seasons. And then Coven is where it lost me. I was just like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's bad. I wish I didn't watch it. The Amer- American Horror Stories is like somehow worse because it's like cramming all the worst Ryan Murphy shit into like, it's instead of like spreading out over a season, it's just condensed into like 42 minute episodes. Very, very dark, very dark. Uh, but you yeah. should watch this on Hulu, and uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear people think. Yeah, uh, tweet at Lewis stories. All right, well, before we get in to the main event of Bride of Chucky, this news may be a little stale by the time you're hearing it, if you're not hearing it on Patreon when it broke many, many weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but we said on the epi- uh, M. Night Shyamalan episode, we, we didn't break the news. The New Flesh didn't do anything except report the news uh, that other people broke that David Gordon Green is doing The Exorcist. The New York Times reported a blockbuster story today that Universal just bought the rights to The Exorcist to make a new trilogy, and they're paying $400 million for it. So let me just read from the story. Uh, Universal Pictures and its streaming service cousin, which is Peacock, uh, have closed a 400 million plus mega deal to buy a new Exorcist trilogy, uh, signaling a sudden willingness to compete head on with the tech giants that are upending entertainment industry economics. Donna Langley, the film studio's chairwoman, teamed with Peacock, NBC Universal's fledgling streaming service there's a great article out there about how peacock is doing horrible right now look that up uh to make the purchase which is expected to be announced this week uh these people who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the still private deal said the price was in the vicinity of the 465 million that netflix paid out in march for two sequels to the 2019 whodunit knives out uh, the Knives Out and Exorcist deals, both negotiated by Brian Lord, the creative artist's super agent, solidify a new streaming gold rush. The eye-popping talent paydays of 2017-2018, when Netflix scooped up big-name television creators like Ryan Murphy, I think, right? Didn't he do yeah. something for them? Uh, yeah, yeah, the development deal. Yeah, and he did that. What was the show he did? Hollywood or something? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, boy. Didn't but the deals have migrated to the film world. The proliferation of streaming services and their scramble for subscribers has driven up prices for established film properties and filmmakers. At the same time, traditional movie companies are under more pressure than ever to control those same creative assets. Movie going has been severely disrupted by the pandemic and may never fully recover. It is surprising, however, that Universal and Peacock have come to the table in such a major way. NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, has started to devote more resources to the little-watched Peacock. Programming from the Tokyo Olympics is available on their service, for instance. But boy, you'd never know it. It's so complicated and hard to use. That's I'm editorializing <laughs> that's, I was now. Like, I was like, this is a, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, my I saw voice, you thinking about that. My voice jumps in here. Yeah. Uh, Peacock doesn't have the NBC feeds that you want. They don't have the, like, regular feeds that are on regular TV. They have exclusive programming that's unique and cool, I guess, but not what I want when I'm trying to watch the Olympics. Anyway, uh, Hollywood well, is... Go ahead. No, I just um, I it's well, I don't want to go on too much attention about Peacock, but I'm very fascinated Please. by what they're doing with it right now because as a Bravo viewer, it's been a really weird sort of like they, they're doing all the they're doing spinoffs basically that are Peacock exclusive in an effort to get like Bravo fans over, but also like 
Bravo shows are pretty low rated. So I'm not sure how much of a subscriber base there is. And then they do this like gimmicky shit that I hate that AMC plus did too, where like you can get episodes a week early. I know you guys did that for your Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like, I do think it's different because it is different. We're not a conglomerate. Yeah, exactly. Like I think, I think Patreon, there's like a value. People want to support you as a creator. Whereas like, this is like a shameless kind of like subscribe to our service to watch below deck a week early below deck Mediterranean. And it's just like, it just fucks up the discourse because no one knows what episode anyone's on. Yes. Um, but but yeah, I I uh, did you see? I don't know if this is in the article that they said that the two sequels to the first sequel are going to be on Peacock. Yes, I was going to get there. So oh, the, yeah, yeah, it, it. no, it's okay, it's okay. There's the articles long and it's 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 fascinating. But yeah, the the first movie's planned for theatrical, and they didn't say for sure that like. It's go- the second. The second two are going to be on Peacock, but they strongly su- suggest that it, they will be. Uh, here's what it has well, to say. I uh, think Peacock will be around after, like they're saying in 2024. Yeah, or whatever. I would be shocked if Peacock, as we know it, exists in that way. It'll probably be swallowed up by some other streaming service because it truly is failing. And I'm a I'm a person who paid for like six months of premium at some deal that was really cheap. And premium, I thought meant ad free, and it says ad free, but it's not. And there's ads on many things, including movies. And some movies have them, some movies don't. And you never know until you start watching one whether it's one without ads. And I saw some other guy tweeting that he called them, he called them their customer service and was like, hey, how is this ad free? And they were just like, oh, no, that uh, it's ad free because there's three minutes or less of ads. <laughs> and he's like, what? Uh, so, yeah, it's all crazy. That's like but- on Hulu. If you have ad, like certain Hulu shows because of whatever deal they have, have ads on them and they like can't get rid of them no matter how much you pay for Hulu. Ridiculous. Uh, Hollywood has heretofore viewed the year-old Peacock as unwilling to compete for top-tier movie deals. Universal's decision to revisit The Exorcist is striking in and of itself. The R-rated 1973 about a baffled mother and her demonically possessed daughter was a global box office sensation. The biggest thing to hit the industry since Mary Pickford popcorn pornography and The Godfather, as Vincent Canby wrote in The Times in 74, has become a cultural touchstone, blah, blah, blah. Universal is not remaking the movie which was directed by William Friedkin from a screen that William Peter Blatty adapted from his own novel. But the studio will, and this is the big news that I've been most excited about, I guess. Uh, for the first time, Oscar-winning Ellen Burstyn will be returning to the franchise. Uh, the New York Times really snidely says that there have been two forgettable Exorcist sequels and a prequel were made without her. Okay, that is, there, there's some real bullshit there because... Forgettable is not a word that you can it, use to describe those movies. No, I mean, Exorcist 2 is memorably deranged. Exorcist 3 is actually good. And the Exorcist and, TV shows were underrated. Well, yes. there's one TV show, but there were two very different seasons and underrated. Yeah, I've heard that's good and I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, the prequels, even saying the prequels were forgettable is insane because like there were it was two of the same movie made by two different people. Like it's not forgettable. I mean, this is this is classic Brooke Barnes, who is all about uh, he's reporting on the business of movies. And like he looks at those things with a very like limited lens of like, I see I wasn't a box office smash like the first one. And like, you know, it's just yeah. like this very weird. He's not even that good of a business analyst. Would frankly. he use the word IP? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, sure he would. I'm sure he would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So Miss Burston's coming back, which is exciting. Joining her will be Leslie Odom Jr., a Tony winner for Hamilton on Broadway and a double Oscar nominee for One Night in Miami. He will play the father of a possessed child. Desperate for help, he tracks down Miss Burston's character. Suffice it to say, Satan is not thrilled to see her again. Uh, we mentioned this before. David Gordon Green, who rebooted the Halloween franchise already. At, uh, Sorry, I just had an involuntary groan. Yeah, I mean, I was with it until we rewatched them, and I'm, I'm not with it anymore. Uh, <laughs> he will he will direct the new movies and serve as screenwriter. The horror impresario Jason Blum is among the producers, along with David Robinson, whose company, the independent Morgan Creek Entertainment, has held the Exorcist movie rights, I believe, since the 90s. Um, before that, wasn't it like Warner Brothers who made The Exorcist? Yeah, they, they definitely put out the, some of the sequels. That's right. I think I think it was them for a while. Uh, but anyway, I think just again editorializing here. The big winner is fucking Morgan Creek Entertainment here, who's just been holding on to this thing and got like a Netflix streaming size deal from fucking Peacock. So like this is the best case scenario for Morgan Creek, who oddly follows me on Twitter and likes every tweet I make Ooh. about things that they uh, own. <laughs> Very strange interactions. I hope, I hope you'll subscribe to Morgan Creek Plus that they'll be doing <laughs> the Prince of Thieves series is going to be there, and I don't know what else because I just yeah, associate. Them I've with got being, no other Prince of Thieves. <laughs> yeah, I have no other reference points. But the first film in the trilogy will uh, expected to arrive in theaters in late 2023. Under the terms of the deal, the second and third films could debut on Peacock. Um, in a business sense, the deal reflects the boldness of Miss Langley, chairwoman of the Universal Film Entertainment Group. In the wake of the pandemic, which brought movie production to a halt, she led an effort to develop safety protocols to get the assembly lines moving again. In the case of Exorcist, she led a push inside NBC Universal to pull off the big money deal. So if, if it fails and doesn't make any, nearly $400 million, Miss Langley's to blame, apparently. <laughs> uh, the cost of the package is so high because Langley and her deals maven, Jimmy Horowitz, did not play by Hollywood's old economic rules. They took a risk and played by new ones, those used by streaming insurgents. <laughs> Funny word. Like Netflix, Amazon, and Apple to outbid traditional film companies, at least until now. The old model, the one that studios have used for decades to make high-profile film deals, involves paying fees up front and then sharing a portion of the revenue from ticket sales, DVD purchases, and television rerun licensing around the world. The bigger the hit, the bigger the, quote, back-end pays for certain talent partners. The streaming giants have done it differently. They pay more up front, usually much, much more, in lieu of any back-end payments, which gives them complete control over future revenue. It means that talent partners get paid as if their projects are hits before they are released or even made. But the risk for talent, if their projects become monster hits, they do not get a piece of the windfall. Jesse, what do you think of all this shenanigans? <laughs> I mean, I it's kind of similar to like when Ryan Johnson, whose movies I love, got paid some ungodly amount of money to make a bunch of Knives Outs. And I love David Gordon Green, and I like his Halloween movie, uh, and looking forward to his next two. But there's something weird. I mean, it's kind of cool that these. It's kind of like the the weird dark side of these streams, streaming services being able to give these smaller filmmakers like a you know Spielberg sized payday. I mean, obviously, like David Gordon Green isn't literally getting 400 million handed to him to you know put in his bank account to make the movie, but presumably that includes a huge payday to lock him up for three movies way ahead of time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Including two made for Peacock movies. Yeah, yeah made for Peacock. Which movies. is like so insulting. I mean, I don't like, even so know. So far, the only movie that debuted on there at the same day in theaters was Boss Baby 2. 
lost baby too. I I also I, business, I not question, back to business. I question um whether I also question whether Brooke Barnes is like really has it straight and like they could debut on Peacock sources to like what is that? Anything could fucking debut. If there's another yeah, pandemic, it, mean it could debut on Peacock. Uh, like yeah, I, I'm sure the deal has. I'm sure the idea. Is I mean, deal. it's clearly more of a the business end. Like the the fucking executives want it to to premiere on Peacock. Yeah, and they probably have something in the contract that doesn't guarantee a theatrical release the way that w- it would have a couple of years ago. But yes, yeah, my point is that like. The, it's kind of cool to see these directors get these like big paydays, which you hope means down the road, they can make more of what they want or yeah, do like a one sit. for them, one for me thing, which for Dave and Gordon green means he could go back and do the sitter too. <laughs> that's right. Sitter too. Sitter. That's where we're starting a big chant for it. Um, but I, I, but I don't know that that we haven't really seen how that works. Like if that actually happens, like, Netflix seems like they're willing to pay for some smaller things like Noah Baumbach's movies if they wanted to lock the person down for a while. But like, are they going to say to Ryan Johnson, okay, now make whatever you want. Like we want you, we want you, whatever your next thing is, or do they want like knives out part four? They want uh, brick two yeah. plaster <laughs> back in brickness. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the, um, so like David Gordon green, I love his movies and I love uh, like his horror movies so far. And I'm sort of as I'm as interested as can be, possible is it's possible for me to be interested in some weird you don't even like these movies yeah i don't like the exorcist movies that much so like david gordon green doing it cool but like these what massive about the deals. inclusion of uh burston i guess yeah. the deal is more interesting than that well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean why is that why is that exciting though it's because a race it creates a fun suspense over whether they can you get think it done before she dies well, i mean she, she's 88 she, years old yeah she wasn't oscar nominated for that was she she may have been. She's. I'm I mean, she, she won for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, a spectacular movie, um, and she's great. I mean, uh, like the idea of David Gordon Green directing Ellen Burstyn, I imagine, is appealing for him, and that's certainly appeal. That's like the appealing aspect of this for me. But I just she was, uh, nominated she was nominated for best, for best actress. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I just feels like it's the design here is to tie David Gordon Green up into a into a streaming content hose for like three or four years. And and this sounds very like, oh, back in my day, but like, this isn't even my day. This is like when I was in my thirties. David Gordon Green would like make four or five movies in five years and they would all be different movies and not like part of a long, like slow dredging of- And Paul oh, Rudd might be in one of them. And Paul Rudd might be in one. Who he knows? Nick Cage might be in one. Well, no, he might be Pazuzu. He, That's true. Many I want to see, see Paul. <laughs> I want this to be a real David Gordon Green shit, like with Paul Schneider and you know, uh, and Danny McBride on camera, not just co-writing. Like the whole I gang want from be, all the real girls. <laughs> yeah, I want it to be really old school, David Gordon Green, and just uh, only star people he finds on like the street. Frolicking in a post-industrial landscape. <laughs> Pat Healy might be in it. Maybe Zoe Deschanel. I want for a the little kids. Bit. Yeah, I want the kids from George Washington to reunite. Yes, all the all kids right. from you, George Washington. You've, you've cast the movie. I have, <laughs> concerns, I have concerns about the script. I think <laughs> I don't really know where you go from the exorcist like i don't really think we need any like what is well there? the trilogy sounds ridiculous like well, just yeah, like, yeah i mean that's what I'm, yes that sounds ridiculous i mean i think the show did interesting things but i was mostly interested i think it was it was fun and i like uh there are very few successful horror tv shows I and mean, there are a lot of them now but like ones that actually work i thought it was compelling and like a different kind of you know angle 
uh, on the story. But like, there have been so many Exorcism movies that are either you know blatant ripoffs of The Exorcist or um, you know the occasional gem among them. Like, I just don't know how bringing back Alan Burstyn to make more Exorcist movies <laughs> is like. I'm not sure like what stories there and why I should be interested. And I like Leslie Adam Jr. a lot. I just like if the story is just it's a new extra. There's a new possessed person. Like. I don't know. This ain't your grandmother's devil. Well, I, you but know, like, but, but I mean, Pazuzu, uh, whose name will never be topped. I know it's an actual demon <laughs> name, but it's fantastic. Like that, there, there, that was not my grandmother's exorcism either. That was there was some fucked up shit happening. Yeah, uh, with with crosses, and uh, I, I don't know. I just like I don't really know what I, I realize. The whole point is like. Hell, Dave Gordon Green will find something new to show me about the Exorcist, but I, I don't know. I find that like I'm less interested in seeing more of that story explored than other horror franchises. I, I completely agree, and it's partly grown out of my not even liking the first one that much. Uh, <laughs> I just don't think it. I, sorry, I just don't find it scary. But like, I would be up for David Gordon Green, and am up for I guess for David Gordon Green doing an Exorcist follow up to the tune of like one movie. Like I would be like, yeah, that's an interesting experiment. You know, have David Gordon Green's style applied to something with demonic possession. Sure. That's, that's interesting. Even if it doesn't have Paul Schneider and Danny McBride frolicking in the post-industrial landscape, but two, three of them, like in what seems like a blatant, like it's like a de facto, besides being this, a sequel trilogy to the Exorcist, it's, it seems like it's de facto sequel to Halloween. You know, it's like, it's essentially okay, now we're going to do three of these. It just does kind of start to feel like television after a while. I will say something I thought was cool that Green mentioned at some piece or another is that he specifically said this isn't one of those things where it's like, forget the other sequels. This is the yes. direct sequel. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of a direct sequel. He and that said involves, it is a direct sequel, but, but it's every not, other sequel still works. And like, I'm not, not discounting it's not like any anything of about it. Actually, yeah. three, I thought, already disregarded Exorcist 2. Yeah, yeah so yeah, his yeah, own yeah, statement's yeah. a conundrum. I, I just think what he... Can't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's more the the spirit of it. I appreciate that he's not saying, oh, like, fuck all those other sequels. We're going to be the, other, the good sequel because every sequel says that. I like like the idea that he's like, well, yeah, this this follows it in this way, but I'm, my my intent is not to replace a bunch of Exorcist sequels because often when you do that, you end up replacing with something that is like tacitly actually pretty similar. But you're doing it this time. No, I, I, think, I, I guess um, I don't know. I think the trilogy thing is a bummer. I think yeah. I do. I do feel burned by Fear Street. Obviously, I think yes. Fear yeah, Street I'm just scared of all a lesser, a lesser property than The Exorcist. But I also feel like you know it kind of showed us that like this is a bad new model to follow. I don't want this. I don't want like a trilogy to to be kind of telling one story if you can't if those movies can't function on their own. And I know that like that's not they're not trying to do like a one month out like one month apart you know or one week apart as it ended up being release schedule or anything like that. But I just like it makes me nervous to have it all be. like this where it does feel like you know episodes of a tv show uh and not like actual movies yeah agreed agreed well now that we're done talking about the future the 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 tepid and scary and uh problematic future of cinema let's go back to the heyday when movies were movies (laughs) Uh, in 1998 with ronnie Yu's bride of chucky which I've got to say is an expertly directed movie. 
I must say, I think it has a great look to it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out quickly as being a huge fan of this movie. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast in passing and just how like this is my Chucky, the Chucky I grew up with, the Chucky with the stitches on his face that was reconstructed by uh, Tiffany, played wonderfully by Jennifer Tilly, who, uh, you know, Don Mancini wrote this part for her, didn't know her, just knew her as fucking Jennifer Tilly from Bound and shit and was like, that's the star of the movie and it has to be her and there's nobody else. And thankfully, she understood, and now it is a part of horror history. And, uh, then it, and, it, and it like gave her a second career. I mean, it, gave, yes. it it sort of you know in the way that it that Chucky sort of became Brad Dourif's like defining role. I think Tiffany became Jennifer Tilly's in many ways. Yeah. Um, although I I think it's I mean she and this is like comes up in the movies as they get more meta. But like she was um, I interviewed her for that Chucky retrospective I did. She was talking about how she was really reluctant to do this because horror, especially at the time, kind of felt like something you do when your career is dead. Right. And uh, Gina Gershon talked her into doing it. Yes, I read or in the commentary, she mentioned that um, she basically said that she lied in, in a bunch of interviews and was like, oh, I love Ronnie Yu. I love Hong Kong cinema. I really like uh, The Bride with White Hair. Is that the movie he did? Uh Um, So she kept saying, on the commentary, she said, I lied and kept saying in the press, I love The Bride with White Hair. But really, Gina Gershon loved The the Bride with White Hair. And I just just love and trust Gina Gershon enough that I was totally down. Does that mean, do you think that Gina Gershon helping her into this role that ended up being kind of a, a big deal for her was maybe, do you think Jennifer Tilly then recommended Gina Gershon for Rifkin's festival. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Was that Jennifer Tilly's Oscar? Uh, she didn't win an Oscar, but she was nominated for Bullets Are Abroad, I guess, in 1994. It's such a, it's just like a mind. She's funny in it. Me. I mean, she's, she's, oh, for sure. It's, it, you can see in this and in, in, in Bullets and other, and, and, and in Bound that she's like, as much as she has a very specific, you know, uh, voice and a very specific look and sort of, you know, appearance and, you know, it looks like a narrow range and it, it's like a narrow range in the kind of classical non-Strupian sense of narrow range. She can play those characters. I mean, like the characters in Bullets Are Broadway, Bride of Chucky and Bound, which is like, as far as I'm concerned, what the three things she's most famous for are very, are very different. I mean, they're different performances and they're all very effective. So good for her. Yeah. I mean, I think that she's not like, she has a baby voice obviously yes. but yes. like there's a lot you can do with that and i think yeah. like he uses it here like like tiffany's a great character both like in human and doll form and <laughs> yes. i think like and distinct she, both in both yes I but think. She, yeah. she brings so much like there's like real pathos to the character there's real yes. like she can be she can be scary and she can be like you know yeah, this, and like it's just it's yeah. not you know it's not a one note like she has a funny voice like there's a lot yeah, going yeah. On. this movie does a crazy balancing act with her character where they want you to sympathize and feel bad for her like relationship wise like she's getting screwed over by Chucky all that stuff but like she's also a serial killer so yes. like they're towing a line and uh, they do it very well and I just can't imagine neither can anybody else like this movie with anybody else but her 
I mean, and, I could uh, see Anna Ferris doing it now, but even that is very different than what Tilly's that's doing. That's an interesting poll. Wow. <laughs> Anna Ferris. Um, I just love her. But I also love Jennifer Tilly in this movie. I think she, yes, watching it again for the first time in, in decades, uh, I was struck anew, or probably more so than when I was 18 or 19 when I saw this for the first time, that she's doing something that's deceptively difficult and and really. I think the reason this movie feels like a real movie to the extent, I mean, I think this movie's very silly. Obviously it's like, it's a child, the fourth child's play movie. It's that's not a knock on it, that it feels silly, but a lot of it kind of feels like it's in quotes to me. And I think that's sort of, I like, you know, I don't know Ronnie use uh, Hong Kong work well at all, but his other <laughs> Freddie versus Jason, that's certainly the deal is it's feel it's like very in quotes, like this is Freddie and Jason get it. And this is sort of also in that tone before five years before that movie came out. Um, but Tilly is sort of the reason that it feels like something a little more fresh than just like Chucky in quotes after Scream, you know, like it's the poster is just like a goof on Scream, but the movie itself by bringing in Tilly's character. And that's some of that's on, on Mancini too, for writing an interesting character. Um, it really like gives the movie some extra oomph and extra dimension where otherwise this would be just kind of a like Chucky, but we're admitting it's camp or, you know, like not that the other movies don't admit it, but like, Chucky, this really is just a comedy. They really, <laughs> lean, in. They really lean in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I think, like I, the the part about it sort of being in quotes and comparing it to Freddy versus Jason. I think obviously there's like there there is plenty to compare there, but I think like this the same dark just, like lightning sheen over yeah. <laughs> over yeah, both. Like there's a similar look, but I just like this movie like is just much smarter. Yes. Then, like, it's often yeah. dumb, but it's a much smarter movie than Freddy versus Jason. And, you know, uh, Don Mancini, like, wrote it as a horror comedy. I don't know that Freddy versus Jason is a horror comedy. It sort of feels like one, but I don't think it actually is. No, it's sort of a, I like Freddy versus Jason fine, but it is also kind of, it, it takes that tone as sort of a default, like, well, what it kind of is lazy kind of like, right. what the fuck, you know? Right. Every joke, I mean, it has laughs, but they're like Freddy as a worm taking a bong hit. Like, it's not, right. oh, it's God. not cheap. super yeah, compelling stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think like, I don't know, like this movie, and, and this is like, what I love about the tone is like, it's as close to parody as it can be without actually being parody. Like, you know, the Voodoo for Dummies book and like the opening with all the different, you know, with Jason and 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 uh, Michael Myers masks and all that. Like, it's basically like a parody of uh, a Chucky movie, but also like, you know, at times quite sincere. And while the like the main couple are totally nothing characters you don't care about. Like not the main cut, the, so the main human non evil yes. couple. The Catherine Heigl and the other guy. Yeah, Katie <laughs> Heigl and and that other guy. Um, Chucky. His name Tiffany, is Jesse. Yes. yes. Chucky yes. and Tiffany are like you know uh, fully realized characters, and Chucky is the most developed he has been in the entire series. Yes. So, and he's the most because of technology being better now. He's the most lifelike and the most you know just like the most believable he's ever been able to look i guess yeah. and like i just think yeah this version of the character and like the way the mouth moves now the way that they like he, they literally put eye drops in his eyes before they shoot him so to make him look more lifelike like these dolls do feel like they're like living breathing things in the world of this movie whereas in the past like you i don't know if you had to like you know suspend disbelief a little or something but like it's just 1998 now 
And yeah, uh, I think the puppetry in the in the first three is generally pretty good. Oh, it's great. But as it's quite good, yeah. Uh, but this one is really does feel like, and, I, and this is not something I picked up the first time I watched it, but being more aware of this stuff now, perhaps, and how much I love the Muppets and stuff like that, it's it is like a more it's a better puppet movie, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, but it is they're they're very expressive and they use the puppetry and like and the designs and all that. I think it's just like it's a little more inventive and like invested in how that stuff works. And then yeah, they're, you're right, the technology just was like there for them to make it a little more lifelike and more detailed and to really let the dolls be like main characters in it, which is such a strange, I mean, like, <laughs> like, like team America, I guess is something else where like, there's dolls as the main, the main people. And I, I, for my money, this is way better. And like, that was considered this like crazy thing to do in like 2004. Uh, and this is like a 1998 movie where like, yeah, the, the two main characters are spend most of the movie, much of the movie as like, you know, little weird little plastic dolls. And like, they do, they seem alive. It's very strange. Well, I, I think, yeah, I agree with all of that. I also think though, that like what happened between child's play three and this movie, um, you also had nightmare before Christmas, which is yeah. not really a doll movie, but like, you know, Sally is literally a rag doll and they yeah. are little dolls that are posed. And I do think the stitching, whether intentionally or not, it feels referential to Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something about it where like, I do think it was sort of the right time for, uh, for a movie where, you know, Chucky is fully the lead. He sort of, he is the lead in like two and three to some extent because they realize that he's the most interesting character by far. But like, He's the romantic lead. And, <laughs> and that was like very much an intentional, like that's a Don Mancini thing of like, we wanted to make him the, like he's the romantic lead of the movie. Um, but yeah, it feels well, like it's of its time in some ways. And I remember uh, in Child's Play 1, they were always talking about like, and you were always comparing Chucky in terms of like uh, the shark from Jaws and how you like back then in that one, it was more effective to not show him. You know, and like until they did, and then like once the the seal is broken, you can kind of see him as much as you want. So like I'm fine with that now. But like I just think it the the those franchise has evolved in a way where like the first movie, you know, had that suspense and like before you knew the doll was you know the the scene with the batteries being revealed. Like that's like a this that that movie was functioning on a different register. Yeah, that's than true. like these ones are. Um, I don't know what my point with that was. Well, but no, it's just I, a, it, like, no, it was like you, you get a little bit more of checking every movie and, and, you know, Don yeah. said like crowds play three, one of the, one of the major problems, there's lots of problems with that movie, obviously, but like one of the issues that he acknowledged was like, there was almost like too much Chucky because he stopped being scary. And it's like very much more of a traditional slasher movie or trying to be a military school uh, sl- slasher. You know, the usual like, military school based slasher that ends with a carnival. You can't, uh, you can't pull back at that point and you can't really like, and so he was like, how do we totally reboot this? And so like, you know, if you think of the child's play trilogy as one thing, like this is sort of like, a, you know, the start of a, of a separate series or, you know, a reboot of, of the series. It's like a different, it's a totally different angle to take the franchise. Yeah, totally. Um, Jesse mentioned that the poster is ripping off Scream. It's ripping off the Scream 2 poster, um, yes. which is so funny to me because that poster is iconic, yes. But to me, the Bride of Chucky VHS tape cover is iconic, which is hilarious because <laughs> it's really just truly just the Scream 2 parody. Um, <laughs> so that's funny. 
But also, you we mentioned the opening scene that had like the here's the mask from this and the Texas Chainsaw from Texas Chainsaw. Uh, that was something Mancini wrote in Child's Play Two. That was in that scene that he wrote with uh, when Andy Barclay's mom was supposed to be in court, and like when Chucky was pulled out of evidence. That's when you were going to see him uh-huh. with all among all those other things. So that's something he it works much uh, better recycled. Yes, I agree with that. Um, so basically, the movie opens with Tiffany getting the doll from a cop, killing the cop, and uh, putting the messy hunk of Chucky back together. Uh, to the really, sorry, real real quick, I just wanted to yeah. like uh, make the comment that like the cop's death is like very bloody, and this the yes. movie like in the first, in the opening is like already bloodier than like any other Child's Play movie. I feel like it. It's I a good feel point. like. They really like let you know early on that like even though the tone is so much more overtly silly, the gore is very much more like in line with the other nineties yes. slashers that were happening at the time. The, yeah. the gore and the scary stuff and the horror is not compromised by the level of comedy. Yes. Well, I the, think that's an important point. There's also we'll see this as we go through it, like the it's feel, uh, I think in, in ways that are both good and bad in ways that I'll get into, the kills feel more self consciously you know, set PC, like this is going to be a kill. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a way that certainly in the, in two and three, it can be kind of tedious how like kind of half-assed a lot of the kills are. This kind of goes in the other direction where they're like kind of gimmicky kills, which sounds like it's like I'm there, that there's that everything is just bad to me. Like I don't like either. I actually like both. Like, uh, and I like a lot of these gimmicky kills, but the way that plays in the movie sometimes, and again, I'll get into where I think that's the case and where that's not. Sometimes it feels very like, you know, like each one wants to be the buzzy. Did you see that? Like, even when some of them don't make a lot of sense or like aren't really that well thought out, but it is definitely like, it's a more kind of presentational kind of winking, like here are the crazy kills and you're not, they're not as disturbing weirdly because they're more violent and crazier, but also because they're sort of, the characters are cartoonier. It's also the more of the kind of later period slasher, like rooting for the kills or waiting to see the cool kills. You're not like that psyched in like child's play two. I mean, no, I guess two and three, he's, he is killing people who are sort of unsympathetic, but in the first child's play, like it's genuinely scary and kind of upsetting when Chucky kills like Andy's mom's best friend. Uh, in this one, it's all just like cartoonville, which I don't, I'm, that's not a criticism. That's just a, a change in style. Uh, he, Chucky was going to kill Andy's mom's best friend in the bathtub like he did in this movie, but they okay. changed it. And now that's another repurposed thing uh, is the, the bathtub death, which we'll get it to. It works in just a lot a better again in this context, but I'll let you get to, through your plot. Uh, yeah. What else is there? Uh, Alexis Arquette as Damien. Uh, could you, I'm going to give you each one guess as to who they were, <laughs> as to who they wanted to cast for that part. Who said no? Oh, Lewis? Marilyn Manson. Yes. <laughs> for some, uh, for some they, reason, I was going to Tom Green, who I don't think was even on the scene yet. So. <laughs> so that's a uh, Marilyn Manson didn't want to do it, so Jennifer Tilly jokes on the commentary that we just stole his entire act. <laughs> um, but they said they were happy to have Alexis Arquette. Uh, he made it very funny. Um Jennifer Tilly, one of the things you really get from the commentary, first of all, she is a goddamn delight. She is a riot, naturally very funny, just like hanging out on a commentary with all these people. And she improvised. I would say, based on the way they talked about it, I would say like 60 to 70% of her dialogue in this movie is stuff that she improvised that Ronnie, you kept and Mancini loved. Uh, 
including the sex scene. The sex scene was never going to be in there, but Brad, uh, Brad Dorif and Jennifer Tilly were doing uh, ADR sessions together in a room, which is so rare. They were talking about how like no one ever does that, but they were in a room together. And that's so much of this movie was born from just them doing that together and improvising. And that's why you can tell, like, that's why this movie works. They have such amazing chemistry. And once you learn that, like, yeah, they were just buddy-buddy hanging out, doing ADR, making each other laugh and stuff. Like, and once you realize that Ronnie Yu just was like, yeah, you kind of, I kind of let them go. And they were so great. I didn't have to, you know, it was mostly all them. And Mancini says the same thing. And, of course, they, uh, Jennifer jumps in to be like, of course, Mancini wrote this fucking script and it's great. And we're not saying there's no script. We're just saying all that's all the funniest lines. Mancini always would be like, oh, that was Jennifer. Jennifer came up with that. So I just found that delightful. I don't know if uh, awesome. it's very, it's very delightful. Um, the, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know what they would have done if they didn't have a sex scene because that seems like, or were they just supposed to have sex? It was a, it was, it was off screen. Yeah. It was a, it was a pan down, like just that the silhouette thing was, and then it kind of ended, but instead uh, they went all I out. I mean, there are times and we'll get into it with seed that I wish movies were less sexually explicit. <laughs> about yeah. it. Uh, but I don't mind it here. Although I do have to wonder why he's anatomically correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll that's, get there. That's confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. Huh. It's can. It's just you know, movie magic, movie that's convenience. A, that's a, that's a retcon, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me, but the fact that they comment on it means, means that like, you know, apparently good guy dolls have dicks. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's upsetting. It's upsetting. I'm not gonna lie. One of the things Jennifer Tilly improvised. You know how she asked she she like asked the guy to find her lipstick under the bed. The original line that she improvised and that she liked better was, can you find my diaphragm over there? <laughs> Which makes that scene funnier and implies that, you know, she's like goading him into sex, which he is really eager for in this version without really being invited to have it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it plays a little differently. Um, Jennifer Tilly thought that the spider they used was depoisoned and defanged, but it was a real spider that she picks up off the dude's face. And uh, the trainer, after they did it, was like, no, you can't defang or depoison these things. <laughs> so <laughs> she dealt with that. Um, blah, blah, blah. What else? Uh, so, yeah, basically, she br- she resurrects or she brings Chucky back to life or does the chant, thinks it doesn't work. And then her boyfriend or whoever this fucking guy is shows up. Her and then boy. she's your fuck. Some fuck boy shows up with a pier- uh, uh importantly, with a pierced lip. <laughs> and um Basically, she sees Chucky where she did the incantation. He's now gone. So she realizes he's alive. She kind of goads the guy. She basically ends up handcuffing this guy to the bed and doing a strip tease. Also, this is interesting. Jennifer Tilly has a no nudity clause in her contract. And she also, Dan Mancini said he read an interview with her that was like talking about how she hates that there's so many strip strip uh, strip tease scenes in movies, and she hates that every script she reads has one. So uh, when after he read that after they had sent her the script, and he was mortified that she was going to yeah. turn it down because of the strip tease scene, but instead she just doesn't strip at all. If you notice, she takes off her gloves, and that's it. <laughs> Um, I, I can't believe Gina Gershon couldn't talk her into strip scenes. I think <laughs> more she had done enough, right? Like yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. There's. Um, it's it's more of like a. I'm doing these horror movies now. Let me keep my dignity. I yeah, think yeah, is kind yeah. of half. The yeah, you thought. don't want to be the. You don't want to be the like stereotypical like. Yes. Horror movie bimbo. Not that those 
actresses actually are bimbos, but like that's kind of how it's seen. I totally, totally get it. Well, yeah, Jamie Lee had the same issue, right? With like yeah. not wanting to be yeah. pigeonholed and yeah. after doing a few horrors in a row. I am. Um... I find like the opening this this whole scene to be it's weird like first it's like it's it's obviously very silly in a lot of ways. Um I do weirdly feel bad for Damien, uh a character who's just kind of like a loser who's obsessed with uh Tiffany and wants to be a killer but isn't. Um Yes, he's an aspiring killer who pretends right. to kill cuz he wants to fuck Tiffany. And also, like, it's compounded by the sadness of Alexis Arquette's life, which, like, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't know how much you know about Alexis Arquette, but she, like, yeah. you know... Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't know, so if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, she uh, she just had, like, a, a, a hard life um, and died of complications uh, from HIV, like... Uh, not How long it, after this movie, I feel. Uh, it was kind of a long time after it was, this movie. It was, it, but, but it had a lot of... Semi-recently, yeah. And I know that, um, you know, I just feel like the the world would be a lot more receptive to Alexis Arquette now, I would hope. I mean, that's a naive thing to say, but just like a lot of what, you know, she was dealing with, um, there weren't a lot of people who were trans uh, in, in Hollywood at the time, clearly. And um, I, yeah. I believe she was identifying as as a man when this movie was made. Yes, it came out she, she she identified as a man late later in her life. Yes, and then also there was I think yeah I mean the uh, I think David Arquette basically said like I forget what the term he used was but like I think we would probably call Alexis Arquette genderqueer or non-binary or some version of uh -huh. that. Um, she's not around obviously to clarify. Um, but yeah, I just I I've I. I love Alexis Arquette. I, I, you know, it's, it's like a, it just adds like a little like sadness to the scene for me because yeah. I have such affection for Alexis Arquette. Um, but it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a great scene. And it's like, it's quite like tense after all the silliness. Like it's actually pretty suspenseful when you don't know where that little yeah. doll is. Yes. And it's a great Chucky reveal. I love him sitting on the chest of this fucking poor guy who's handcuffed on all his limbs to this bed uh, Chucky ripping off his uh, lip ring is something I'll never forget. It's like a visceral, like, oh, yeah, that, that's what Chucky does in this movie. Uh, up Right up top. Uh, and I love that he just, like, it's just gross. He bleeds out. And there's that shot later where she's, like, sleeping in bed next to him, uh, right. which I love. It's um, a lot of blood. It's a, it's a lot, lot of blood. A lot of blood. Also, I just have to say, there's already have in this at this point in the movie there's already been so many cool ronnie u camera tricks and fun little things like the pov shot uh from the point of view of chucky's eye hole while jennifer <laughs> tilly puts the eye in there's yeah. also like a pov shot from inside the fucking mailbox for no reason like there's just this movie has a look and flair and when you note when you realize that ronnie u's commentary there was two commentaries one with ronnie u the director by himself it was very technical. It was basically this shot was CGI. This shot wasn't CGI. We didn't use CGI very much. Uh, this scene was done practically, blah, blah. Um, but he was basically like, we started shooting on April, whatever, 1998. And the movie had a release date of October, whatever, 1998. So they were just always on a time crunch. And he still was such a like attention to detail maven. It's like incredible. Uh, the things he thought about to do for the doll. And it's a really fascinating listen. But uh, I think that rushed quality led to them like storyboarding everything and like also led to them just hitting the movie with a game plan. So 
I don't know. I'm just surprised that under the, you know, the pressure that they were under and the conditions this movie was made under that it turned out so good. And I think Ronnie Yu, and I think everyone deserves credit. The director deserves credit. Mancini deserves credit. Uh, Jennifer Tilly and Brad Dorif deserve a lot of credit. This is a rare movie where I do think it's like, it's it's the cosmic gumbo of it all. <laughs> wow. Um, what, what, that's going to be one of those phrases we're going to use forever. It's going to start off ironic. It's going to become sincere. It'll go back to ironic again and we'll forget where it originated, which is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's beautiful also. Uh, so basically what has happened so far, Chucky's killed a guy. Uh, Jennifer Tilly's resurrected Chucky and we find out that she's basically Charles Lee Ray's paramour. Or in her mind, she basically... This whole time that Charles Lee Ray's been dead, she's been convinced that like he was about to ask her to marry him because mm-hmm. he gave her a ring. So like that's why she goes through all this trouble. And then the second she uh, resurrects Chucky and mentions marriage, he like literally laughs, cackles in her face, and like <laughs>, laughs and says he would never marry her or whatever he says, and basically says, "Oh, that ring I pu- uh, pulled off a dead chick." He says her name, Vivian Van Pelt. <laughs> he says, that, yeah, that ring belonged to Vivian Van Pelt. It's like $5,000. <laughs> Chucky is sounding more than ever like Danny DeVito in this film. I think the Jack Nicholson <laughs> stuff is tamped down and the DeVito stuff is tamped, is un- untamped. It's un- it's gone way, it's turned way up. Maybe, and that he's really... start, maybe he started, it's sort of like how Homer was originally Walter Matthau, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like you get an inspiration, you kind of, run run with that in some other direction yeah exactly um, i do i was noticing because we have we've been talking in this series about how chucky's kind of dumb and i was like, <laughs> my interested favorite in that. topic i was interested in that in this movie because like he's a, he's allowed to be more of a character yeah. um so you you get like more of him being a person but also like more of him being an idiot like he's definitely both <laughs> yeah like, he's I, not he's not strategic right like he doesn't He's he's too into being an asshole. I mean, maybe that's not dumbness. Maybe that's just being an asshole. But he's too into being an asshole to just play along with Tiffany to get right. what he wants. He's not even he's not conniving enough. He's just he's too dumb to connive his no, way he's into. A, he's a rude fucking doll, as, <laughs> as, a, as a random stoner says. <laughs> rude fucking doll. <laughs> and, and he's also so he's more fond of flipping people off than anyone I've known since I was in middle school and flipping off my friends when I left the school bus. Um, I also really love at this point, this is the point where, where Tiffany, when Tiffany finds out because she's not yet in her doll form to, again, strategic error from Chucky. She promptly <laughs> takes him and locks him in a playpen and starts calling him a baby. Which um, is, Perfect because it's Chucky so is a cute little baby, and I think you acknowledge <laughs> how adorable Chucky is, even when he's like, you know, like stitched together. Like it's a cute doll, and he has a little baby. Yeah, no, the the kind of she. I love the kind of character detail. It's not spoken, but is heavily implied. She understands his psychology enough to know that just like oh fuck you and trying to burn him or kick him out or shoot him or whatever would not be as humiliating as like, like any adolescent boy, even though Chucky is supposed to be far past adolescence, 
nothing makes him angrier than being treated like a little baby. Right. <laughs> um, and that she knows to do this and it just infuriates him and goes to the trouble of, I mean, I know it's a plot contrivance, but buying another doll just <laughs> to fuck like, with him. The, the bride doll that the good guys people made for some yeah. reason. Um, but also like a really, you know, a pretty bad error on Tiffany's part if we're talking about mistakes yeah. that uh, this couple made. I would say buying uh, a, a female counterpart to chucky was setting herself up for yes that for failure yeah that's true uh, as, but it is, uh, as dj khaled would say she played herself <laughs> as dj khaled would say dj khaled uh, and also she played herself uh yeah another I, one. I, yeah <laughs> another one. it's the beginning of, it's the same that's the that's true for the, the child's play movies another one uh and i i really like that yeah, I, I like that her spite overpowers her good sense in terms of like when would it be how would it be a, good, a productive way to vex her murderer ex boyfriend, and it's she just she goes full ahead with like let's just keep him in a, a pretty easy to break cage, but like humiliate him and call him baby. Really funny. I, I laughed a lot this time watching that. Yeah, and just so she locks him in this little playpen, buys him a bride doll that's. I would say really hideous looking before she gets dolled up by Tiffany. Um, Chucky ends up using the ring on that bride doll to scratch his way out of the playpen, at which point he great scene where he goes to kill her in the bathtub. And there's a great scene for so many reasons. My first favorite part of the scene is Chucky pressing his face into like the shower curtain she has that's blocking that's basically functioning as a door for the room, I believe. And like Chucky presses his face on it and like opens his mouth and makes a little excited noise like, <laughs> like I'm about to kill somebody. <laughs> and then I, he's not even planning to electrocute her. He's planning to stab her, but he runs in there uh, knife blazing and she, I think, like, kicks him around or whatever. And basically, the TV ends up falling in there. And she electrocutes and dies. And Chucky, there's a great shot of Chucky, like, kind of, like, maestroing, like, a conductor among the bubbles of the uh, of the murder. It's really great. Um, I mentioned it was already in the script in the past. Um She's, of course, watching Pride of Frankenstein, which yes. feels relevant. Yes. She's know. watching Pride of Frankenstein, which was they were supposed to. She was supposed to be watching Martha Stewart because they keep making a lot of Martha Stewart jokes in this movie. Yes. Uh, but there was a rights issue with that. <laughs> but there ain't no rights issue at Universal with the <laughs> Universal monsters. It's, I like the and Pride of Frankenstein thing much better. Like the Martha Stewart thing is is a fun runner, and I, I God, it's a it's a dated runner. <laughs> it's it's it is, but it, I don't know. I feel it like it still works. Not, I mean, Martha Stewart's eternal. Yeah, and I love I She's love eternal, Chucky. but she wasn't like a criminal at this point in time, you know? Like <laughs> yeah, different sure. context. Yeah, yeah, but it it works well. I love I love Chucky being like, who the fuck is Martha Stewart? Just like sincerely angry. Yeah. He's never heard of her. Really funny. <laughs> You're also gonna like there's that scene in the car where he's like, Well, we're he does the thunder kiss headbang. <laughs> uh before he does the white zombie headbang, he like goes through the radio and says, This music sucks. Uh, they were the first song was supposed to be Spice Girls, and he was supposed to say, "What the hell is this shit?" And then the second song was supposed to be Hanson, at which point he goes like, "Music's gone to hell," and then he puts on whatever he puts on. Uh, but no band agreed to be shit on. <laughs> they lost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all that's so. Per they really understand Chucky as an eternal thirteen-year-old boy in this movie. Um, I, I like the the 
the Bride of Frankenstein thing is very obvious. I mean, the whole the title of the movie, like it's you know, it's, it's it fits then, in yeah. with like Universal Monsters Universe. Yes, if, if, if you're saying Chucky is, yeah, right. That's what I was gonna say. Is like aside from the sort of the plot and like all of that, and and the fact that like she's electrocuted and comes back to life as a doll, and it, I just like that it puts Chucky in the canon of Universal Monsters. Yes, like I for like sure. it emphasizes. And again, at this point, I keep mentioning Halloween Horror Nights because I'm determined to go back this year. Putting on COVID, I'll, I'll go with you. I'm telling you. I don't want to go actually next year. I'm getting like married or something in October this year. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, like don't don't miss that. But um, I I just like that at this point, like Chucky was a mainstay in Halloween Horror Nights and very much a part of like Universal. And so I like that this sort of emphasizes the connection between like the classic Universal monster Bride of Frankenstein and and Chucky and also like I think the the having Tiffany's origin story be tied to Bride of, Bride of uh, Frankenstein is helpful because it emphasizes the sort of like she like it's different because she is a serial killer but she's like sympathetic and misunderstood and there is an element you have like some compassion for her uh, at times and I think that fits more with like a Frankenstein type and certainly Bride of Frankenstein figure so they're sort of like laying the groundwork there for like she's not all evil doll she's got she's got a heart yeah yes. yeah and that absolutely. will come in that will come into play eventually um one other fun fact that the commentary mentions thus far is they were going to do a promotional album of love songs with chucky and tiffany singing duets <laughs> like how's they're gonna do house of the rising sun and hit the road <laughs> jacks a bunch of weird shit but they never did it and they all they are they all you know express regret over not doing that. But <laughs> basically, yeah, it would have been great. Uh, Chucky kills her, and then, you know, obviously he's going to put her soul into that bride doll. And when the bride doll comes to life as Tiffany, there's some really funny, just like, not even physical, I guess like physical comedy from the d puppet's face. Like, it's a very funny face. But Jennifer Tilly's going like, grrr. And like, there's all this like really funny acting of like her being a doll and not excited that she's this ugly little doll. Um, and then basically the premise of the rest of the movie is these two dolls. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get to a place. They were trying to go to New Jersey. They're going to New Jersey as, uh, as the Fred Armisen version of the old governor uh, used to say in us now they're going to hack and sack as immortalized in the Fountains of Wayne song to get, um, aren't they trying to get to, uh, it's a MacGuffin. Charles, Charles Lee Ray's grave. Cause he's, his, That's his right. desiccated corpse is, uh, bears this. Oh yeah. There's like an obelisk on his fucking yeah. chest. There, or something. There, there's, there's a thing that was never mentioned before. That's totally irrelevant, but drives yes. the plot. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a classic. The, the MacGuffin. important thing is is that it's. <laughs> I love that it, that MacGuffin is utilized not for some grand fantastical mythology, for but for the plot of the movie to be. They need to drive to New Jersey, uh, right? <laughs> like <laughs> like Harold and Kumar before him or after him. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I, I sincerely like that. I like that kind of like. Yeah, they're just going to New Jersey, so they all, need. Yeah, it's all secondary. I think like this movie is really about like Chuck. Once once Tiffany's created, I'm kind of. I was watching it again, and I've seen this movie many times. But I was like, what else happens? Like, I remember the kills and I remember, like, you know, certain moments and lines. But, like, it's a really lot of van of time. 
Yeah, I mean, and and I don't mind it because I find it all very entertaining. But yes, I th- I think it's immensely entertaining, especially like when you factor in that it's like ninety minutes. I watched it like three times in the past day with the commentaries, and like it just breezes by. It really does. It's like a comfort movie for me. Oddly, I've seen it so many times that it's just like I I enjoy the. I've already said the word register earlier, but like I like the tone of it. And I just have fun watching it. I also love, so basically the dolls need to get to New Jersey. How are two dolls going to get to New Jersey? They have to rope in some humans. Uh, Jennifer Tilly, uh, her neighbor is, uh, she basically calls up her neighbor and says, hey, I'll give you $1,000 if you transport these dolls to New Jersey. Uh, And that's how we meet these other people whose name is Jesse. And then there's Catherine Heigl, (laughs) whose character's name I don't remember. But Jesse, Jesse and a age jade jade jade, jade. jade. jesse jade. and jade that's right like like the, the joe like the joe esterhaas script jade that's what i'm yes. thinking i'm sorry, that's the most famous jade i can think of except for the uh, top model contestant yes <laughs> um catherine heigl's father is like police sheriff uh john ritter and he's not her he's, father he's her uh he's her guardian. uncle or yeah. guardian. Yeah, he's like her, her uncle or something. He's taking, uh, he's taking care of her and he's a real prick. He's taking care of her. He's a real prick. Her parents are dead. We get all this. There's a great scene. We're introduced to her through this great scene where her pretty clearly gay friend is pretending to be her boyfriend and it's played for laughs. And then she gets in the car and makes out with her real boyfriend. It's kind um, of played for laughs, but... We like there's that one joke her. about like he knows a lot about the flower, right? Yes, like that's yes. the joke. But I, yeah, we talked about this before. I mentioned it. Like, it's a big deal. There's a gay character in this movie because his sexuality, aside from maybe the flower joke, is, like, very much not a joke. He's taken seriously. He talks about a past relationship. Like, it's it was not really something It's just, like, a matter of fact he's a gay character. They're not, he's not, like, flamboyant or anything. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it would be fine if he were. But it's, like... but also, like in '90s movies, especially, like if he were flamboyant, that would be the joke. Yeah, like, absolutely. His, his, his. I, I mean, I think that, like, clearly written by a not straight person, you know, right? Written by, written by a gay man, and you know, very intentionally included in the movie. And he's like the gay kind of. He's the gay straight man. Like he's sort of the not not because of his sexuality. I mean, straight no, man. The straight like, man is in comic terms. Yes. Yeah. He he's like you know he's playing the normal one uh, between all these other crazy people, the crazy dolls, and then sort of the drama of Jesse and Jade. Um, I don't know. I saw this movie when I was like I I think I probably first saw it as a as a teen, and like really felt. Uh, by it and there there really weren't a lot of like gay characters in horror especially the time who weren't either jokes or you know there was some sort of weird vaguely homophobic like psychosexual reason they were a killer um it's it's, i don't know it's 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 refreshing and like it clearly was very intentional on dominicini's part uh one other Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna. I, I yeah, I agree. Like it's. I, I noticed that even you know, as as a sometimes careless straight person watching it, going, oh wow, this this kid is like treated like a person. He's not like it's not sticky that he's that he's gay. It's like a kind of accepted thing. Which yeah, is, and I think that flower you know, joke I called called out is genuinely funny. Like it's yeah, it's, it's not, not yeah. a mean joke. No, yeah. it's not a mean joke. I do think like the fact that like he talks about a past relationship though is also a big deal. Like not yeah. to yes. 
harp on this, but like it just it's not something that you saw in it's like, like a type of Bechdel test. Almost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like yeah. he's not sexless. Like he's not. It's it's very. It's. I mean, they, they can only go so far, and this was '98, and like we've we've actually come a, a very long way since then in a lot of ways. Yeah, oh, the next Chucky movie is even gayer. The next Chucky movie is a a whole, you know, treatise on gender and sexuality, which we'll get to. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. This I I always thought that was really cool, and I I I, I liked it, and I still like it, and like even though a lot of gay characters from the nineties have not aged well, uh, I feel like he's aged totally fine. Yeah. That's the death scene though. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Getting hit by a gosh dang truck. Yeah. Uh, I I love that the lead character in this movie thinks that a thousand dollars is going to change his life, and that it's enough to run away with Catherine Heigl and, and forget all their problems. He does not have extensive tastes, I guess. <laughs> he, I mean, he says it. He's like, "We can. That's enough for one month's rent, and then we'll just figure it out." I'm like, "This is yeah. a bad pitch, man. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't go with him." Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so they, they accept the deal and then they end up on the run with these dolls because Chucky blows up a cop car because basically they get pulled over by their, you know, John Ritter owns the police force basically. So they have like another cop that's on their tail. I think there's a real, there's a real, like, uh, there's a real message in this movie that all cops, uh, fucking suck. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's. Uh, also ahead of its time. Not that there weren't <laughs> bad cop movies well, well before this, but like the cops are definitely the bad guys in this movie. Oh, yeah, for there's sure. not there's not like the token good cop who helps them. No, no, no. All the cops are bad. The cop gets blown up, but then the cops getting the cop getting blown up puts our two human characters on the run. It puts them in an interesting situation where each one thinks the other person is a serial killer, and like <laughs> then the rest of the movie takes on this like. I think uh, Mancini describes it as like natural born killers dynamic. Yeah, I do so want to mention that Chucky dispatches. Well, Chucky and Tiffany have to get rid of John Ritter first. And yes, there is that whole moment where we should mention where like, Tiffany Oh, I forgot of, that happens before. Cause the body reveal. Before, cause his body, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where Chucky, Tiffany is basically encouraging Chucky to be more creative with his kills, which also feels like commentary on yeah. these movies. <laughs> And they devise that's a. The, that's how you te- can tell this movie came out two years after Scream. Right, yeah. right. Uh, they use a nail bomb to like blow blow. I mean, the nails go into his face. Um, it's a really cool uh, effect, and we get a vague reference to Pinhead. Yes, <laughs> Chucky being like looks familiar, um, and then of course, like he's still alive, and later Chucky has to stab him to death. Um, but yes, that's what happened to uh, to John Ritter's character, another actor who tragically passed. So this is just yeah. this movie is full of people that make me kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. And John Ritter was also supposed to be in an, an older one. He was going to be the a security guard in the the final in a in a at, at the factory in either three or two. I think at the beginning of three, um, but it never worked out. And so uh, I, that was like a David Kirshner thing. The producer, they were friends or something. Oh, there's also a line. There's also a line that was cut. Uh, basically, a puppeteer came up with a joke line that they liked. Uh, it was Chucky saying after he kills uh, John Ritter, sorry, Jack, three's a crowd. Yeah. Referencing three's <laughs> company. Uh-huh. Uh, but they tested the line. And if you can believe it, uh, audiences in 1998 did not get that joke. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. That's uh, what, that, three's company just, reruns were. I, I agree. 
I agree. That's in that time, I would have gotten that joke as like a nine-year-old or something. Also, I don't know who they showed that movie. It's not a really in double entendre because it's not that sexual. Besides the fact that Three's Company is itself a weird double entendre show, but (laughs) like the the line isn't nonsensical if (laughs) if you don't get it. You know, it's like like Three's a crowd could be any. That's that's a silly. We forgot in my opinion. We forgot to mention John Ritter uh, plants weed on their car to get them in trouble with that cop and Chucky pockets the weed. And funny story, that shot of Chucky pocketing the weed was so like, you know, was such a hit at test screenings that they later shot and added the scene where he smokes weed. That (laughs) shot later, like right (laughs) afterwards, that shot wasn't in there at all. But the people the people demanded Chucky smoke weed. And I'm glad it's in there. I think it's a (laughs) it's a funny shot. To see Chucky hitting a joint. All right. Yeah. I'm a simple yeah. man. Easily with simple pleased, pleasure. I, I respect that. <laughs> I mean, if any if any slasher villain's gonna smoke weed, it's gonna be Chucky. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, it fits with his dirtbag idiot. Like, no, I mean not that it's not that not to impute. Yeah, him. I'm you gonna move my right. bong off screen <laughs> while you say <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I mean, like the the you know, what he has the mentality of a 13-year-old boy, and like the 13-year-old boy's priority in that situation would be like get the weed, get the weed. <laughs> yeah. And I like that Don Mancini reveals that he directed that shot of them smoking because uh, Ronnie Yu couldn't get back in the States. He had immigration problems. Uh, So Mancini did a lot of pickups at the end of this. Um, Jennifer Tilly said, Chucky and Tiffany's comedy stylings. How's this for a reference? She calls them the modern day version of the Bickersons. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I see it. Yeah. uh, what else? Ed Gale, who played the body, uh, you know, human Chucky in the original movie, is back after many years of not being in the movies for various reasons. Um, just little little things throughout the movie or CGI, like when Tiffany throws a champagne bottle and it breaks the mirror, like things oh, like that are CGI. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring this up. First of all, we should talk about that whole weird yes, almost uh, there. Yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't. I, I, we, we, we no, sort no, of no, lost please. I'm all over there. the place. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the plot again is like secondary. But I forgot that I had. Did I mention this already? That I had these the dolls. The, the I think I brought this up. That I had the Todd McFarlane, Chucky and right. Tiffany. Uh-huh. Oh yes. Did I, did I mention though that Tiffany had a had a giant wine bottle? Oh, oh, from no. this from That's this scene. incredible. Yeah. So she like so they you know they had weapons and I think like. I believe Chucky just had a knife and then Tiffany had the wine bottle. Um, but it bothered me because the proportions were all wrong. <laughs> the wine bottle was like, as if Tiffany were a fully size. like it was pretty oh, big, no. but it's like a sham. It's like champagne. Like it should be pretty yeah, big. It was big. And if yeah. were compared to like a doll, it should be like almost Tiffany size. Right. Right. Anyway, that is, that is a flaw. That is like, a flaw. usually better than that. It, he's so detail oriented. So yeah. Happened, but um, I, yeah, I, uh, are we, should we get to the wedding? And, yeah. and- we are at that scene. So basically <laughs> they're on the run. They end up at like a, let's get married quickly. Chapel honeymoon, shitty hotel place. And they end up in a, they end up meeting this like swinger couple that was supposed to just be a swinger couple. But because the movie needed Chucky and Tiffany to get guns from somewhere. They rewrote this scene to make them swingers slash thieves. So <laughs> it's, it's a little muddled. There was a scene I, yeah. previously 
where Chucky was, they were going to get their uh, guns from the a, a cop that they, another cop that they killed that was cut or something. But um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it, it does. Yeah. That's, this is, this whole sequence had like, it's probably the low point of the movie for me. I mean, it's, you know, uh, the movie's delightful, but the, con- <laughs> I mean, it's a silly movie. So it's not like, this is something that really bears a lot of scrutiny, but like, it's a swinger couple of con artists. So their big money-making scheme is to hope that they can seduce other couples into like a wife swap and then take their money, yeah. which seems yeah. like it would have a very low success it's, rate. Yeah, it's really dumb. <laughs> and, well, and then, then, but like, at least it's like there because if not, then Tiffany killed them for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's I true. like that that's they true. give her a reason to kill her. Also, yeah, fun well, fact. The girl in that, the woman in that scene is Janet Kidder, Margot Kidder's niece. Oh, weird. Um, weird. The, the, uh, and like the kill in this is like, to me, is like, and there's like a cool shot, of course, in like the reflection of the, the glass or whatever. And I remembered this very clearly, like I, from having seen this, you know, 20 years ago, I, this was like one of the scenes I remembered most clearly when I watched it again. But it's trying to be a gimmicky kill. It's kind of sloppy. It's just like a, uh, glass falls it's on them. Ugly ninety-eight CGI, yeah, and no and, sense. And like glass doesn't, yeah, glass shards falling from a ceiling would certainly scratch you the fuck up, and it would be painful and horrible. But I don't think it would murder you instantly. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it would they be get really viscerally kill people. Yeah, they get really murdered by that. And um, Don Mancini calls that shot the orgasmic money shot, where the waterbed <laughs> explodes with blood. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a, that's a nice touch. And then Chucky picks up. That's where Chucky realizes he's really in love with her and picks up the severed finger. And I love this detail of Chucky trying to rip the ring off the, the finger. <laughs> and as if it's to be polite, he like turns around and bites it off so she doesn't <laughs> see it. It's such a great detail that <laughs> he turns around detail. to do that. Um, I, the logistics of, of that kill, it's true, make no sense. But like maybe... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was like an old mirror, and yeah, uh, yeah. it was it was like made with I don't know lead or something, and it was heavy. I don't know how they made mirrors in the old days, and and it I don't. It just I think I've always... been spoiled by since this movie came out because I again I remember that very clearly. And I don't remember thinking, oh, that's so cheesy when I first saw it. It's one of the few things about the movie that I liked less this time around. But I think I've been spoiled in the years since by Final Destination, where they're obviously all patently absurd. But part of the fun of it is the mechanics of, wait, so how would it happen that an overhead mirror could kill you? And Final Destination will explain that very carefully. That's not Chucky's thing. I understand. No. That's just not what they're... It's just, you know, that's one way that horror movies have changed in weird ways. Those, Those type of kills, I feel like you don't get away with as easily anymore. It's funny though because like they earlier in the movie they like explode nails into John Ritter's face. Yeah. And it doesn't kill him because it wouldn't kill someone the way that right. it's shot. And then they have to like stab him to death. So like they clearly were thinking about this. I think that I'm defensive of that kill because it's Tiffany's and I want <laughs> that. Yeah. And I yeah. like I like it too. I just, you know, if they shot that scene today it would look much better. Oh, yeah. Um, it's aside yeah. from the, the CGI it's silly. I just think like it's yeah. with, but with Tiffany have her kill. Yeah. With the waterbed, it's like, you know, it's a moment. And I also feel like it's just like such you know, you're talking, it's like such a random the whole set piece is like so bizarre and like <laughs> it's like it's more like a you know, a random like adventure in the lives of Chucky and, and Tiffany it has nothing yeah. to do with like the main plot. But I think also at this point you realize how little 
Jade and Jesse matter in the yes. narrative of Chucky yes. and Tiffany's story. Yes. And yeah. the movie is sort of, it's sort of fun, has some fun with that fact, but it, I would say it doesn't, doesn't quite, and this is like a minor quibble with the movie, which again, I like, I like a lot, but it doesn't quite achieve the like kind of escape velocity from Jesse and Jade or like properly fully make fun of those characters or, and, you know, it just doesn't really do either thing with them. It, it neither makes them objects of fun nor makes them really effective characters on their own. I mean, you don't really want them to get killed, I guess, because they seem nice enough. I don't mind either one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big <laughs> Catherine Heigl defender in general, um, but like the characters are silly and pointless and like she was 19 sort of, here. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, but they, but like, you know, there, there are means to an end, yeah. but it is definitely, you know, given that like you had Andy Barclay in the first three movies as like sent a central figure. Uh, it's definitely kind of, it, it's, it's notable to have these two random people and, you know, in subsequent movies, like they've gone back to kind of like having, victims or you know people tormented by chucky and, and tiffany who you actually do care about i think this is like one of, i i it's it's only not a major misstep because there's so much else going on it doesn't really matter yeah but like, well, it is the, it is the flaw of the movie is that they're kind of nothing I, and like the idea that they come across eventually i think too late and then don't do that much with but it's kind of cool the young lovers on the run rather than have the young lovers be like the Badlands or natural born killer style killers, having them both be innocents who've kind of thinks the other one might be the crazy. Yeah. Young lover it's on the clever. It's clever. It's That's clever. Fun. And it's fun. It doesn't, it doesn't really. It clever. Off, it's resolved but... very quickly though. Yes. It's resolved too quickly. friend shows up and is like, you both think the other one's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 Yes. There was a whole subplot with that detective we see on TV briefly chasing them. That was cut entirely that you can That's kind of feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you wondered why Kathy and Jimmy showed up, it's because David Kirshner worked with her on Hocus Pocus and their friends. Um, <laughs> she had a bigger role and improvised a ton, of course, but they had to cut it. Hey, uh, you know, Jennifer what movies, you know what movies are uh, wildly overrated by Hocus uh, Pocus? Age? Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Jennifer Fuck, Tilly. Yeah. Jennifer Tilly makes a joke about that. She makes a joke about like, basically he says, oh, they know each other from uh, Hocus Pocus. And Jennifer goes, oh, well then why would you ever want to work with David again? <laughs> like it was total shade. I, I mean, yeah. I love Catherine Jimmy and I'm glad that she showed up for that one scene. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Me too. It's, it's, I would say with, with Tilly, not to not give her credit for that, but it's not even like that. This is kind of a side thing about Hocus Pocus. And I'm for that. I apologize. It's not even that. Well, she's we have like to throwing... our audience for Hocus Pocus two coming. That's next true. Season. Yeah. We'll do the whole, the, we'll run the series on, on the, on the two Hocus Pocuses, <laughs> the Hokai Pokai. Uh, but like <laughs> the uh, Jennifer Tilly bashing that movie is like not even her being iconoclastic and taking on it. It's like that. She's just expressing the actual general sentiment about Hocus Pocus among yes. anyone A movie over that the bombed age of... and nobody liked. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was came out in July. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I was 13 when that movie were 12, 12, almost 13. When that movie came out, I was reading premier magazine. I know this was not a movie anyone liked at the time, which is fine. Kids will, kids like movies because they came out when they were kids. It's just funny that it's now considered like a even remotely good movie. I, I'm with you, Lewis. It's terrible. Good for what's his name? Who's who wrote that movie? Is it Mick Garris or something? Like there's some horror guy who is an Ooh. iconic horror person whose name is on that movie. And I'm, I hope he gets I hope he's getting paid. Uh, I, I've written a lot about Hocus Pocus over the years because I used to work at BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed is uh 
had a big uh, hocus pocus uh -huh. thing. It uh, is Mick Garris. It is, yeah. it is Mick Garris. Yes, Mick Garris, the uh, adapter of far too many Stephen King stories. Yes, uh, <laughs> he's King's work. guy. I don't yeah, know. Why. You know, King has moved on to Mike Flanagan. Thank God, um, <laughs> because Mike Flanagan a big upgrade. Yeah, actual movies. Um, the, just a tangent about Stephen King movies. Uh, yeah, I um, I I do think like that. I like what you're saying about that. You know, the the idea that like them thinking that they're both killers and like there's there's something kind of fun that happens with them. I do think it would have been the movie would have would have been better off if they. And I think maybe like now would have done it a little bit differently if it were acknowledged that they're a pointless kind of plot contrivance. Yes. In the same way that like the MacGuffin should just be yeah. like, make one meta joke about it so we can go, okay. Yeah. And then yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, when, okay. So basically where are we in the plot? They are back on the run. They're now meeting up with their, their, their friend, the, the gay character we talked about earlier, whose name I, David, right? David. Yeah. David. Mm -hmm, David. So they meet up with David, who's like going to help mediate things. But David finds John Ritter's body in the van and freaks out and basically thinks one of them or both of them are the killers. But they don't even have a time to deal with that because the Chucky and Tiffany then pull their guns out and take everybody hostage for the rest of the movie. Until uh, he, he, David dies immediately. Yes. Yeah. David gets hit by a truck immediately. But um, they were supposed to throw. This is really great. They, I think this this ended up being cut because the whole side story about the cop chasing them got cut they were supposed to be chased by the cops there and they were gonna chucky and the and tiffany or maybe it was the humans who did it i don't know i guess it was the dolls they throw john ritter's body outside the car and the cop car runs over the his head with the nails on it and crashes oh <laughs> that's 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 fun that's, i'm sorry that's that. nasty that I is nasty that that the car death like stuck with me so much as a kid because or a teen or whenever I first saw this movie, because I feel like there are so many, like, I, I think I was just so struck by the fact that he explodes into little chunks. And I <laughs> was like, I was like, is that what happens if a person's hit by a truck that they like explode into chunks? And I guess at that speed, maybe I don't know a lot about how that actually works, but he's like fully just splattered. Yeah. Yeah, yes, they had a truck hit a bag of blood for that, if you couldn't tell. And then they CGI'd more blood on top of it. So you're not wrong. <laughs> it's a ridiculous amount of blood. Um, yeah, I feel like that a similar death happens in Final Destination, like all of them, <laughs> shortly after this. Um, but but, but, but yeah. I mean, those, like, it's, I mean, there's the pane of glass falling on someone, which I, somehow makes more sense to me that that would be a splatter situation than the truck. But whatever, I'll go with it. I think it's... And it's also like sad because he's like nice and you know, yeah, one of innocent the few, victim. Yeah, one of the, who, who one of the few innocent victims. Yeah. Uh, uh, what happens? Basically Chucky and Tiffany start fighting. They have their little domestic drama take place in like the, are they in like a, they're like, like a, in like a trailer now. Home. Yeah, mobile they're home. like a mobile home. And Tiffany like uh, is making cookies and doing all this homemaking stuff and chucky basically don mancini keeps talking about how he finds it funny that like these doll characters are making fun of this human couple's relationship like this psychotic killer couple is judging and making fun of jesse and jade and like that's something he does the whole movie but at this yeah. point uh they're all interacting and i forget how do they get the upper hand like tiffany ends up in the oven oh it's because they, they they basically uh 
used reverse psychology on these dumb people. Yeah, they they, they goad them into into fighting. Suddenly, yeah. they eat. They divide up by long gender lines. Oh yeah, because Tiffany hates dirty dishes or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and he tells her to do the dishes. And, it's a and, whole. The humans are smarter than we gave them credit for, huh? Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of the humans being smarter than than we give them credit for, and the dolls being stupider than. Yeah, and yeah the remember these average. dolls yeah. is They're dumb. Dummies. They're dummies. <laughs> Um, we skipped over that they that they did we talk about how they fucked because they fucked they we, fucked after yes. the after the hotel kill very passionately. Yes. Chucky says he has a dick or how does he say it? I'm anatomically correct. I'm anatomically correct. I was thinking about this after because I know I mentioned it earlier in horror. Maybe part of his transformation into a human is that a little little dick, dick pops out like yeah. a like a like a like a dog that just pops out when he's horny. Oh, I really liked it more <laughs> when. I was imagining like a little plastic, you know, whatever. And you're yeah. making me think of a dog penis, which is not something I signed up for. So thank that's, you. For- you know, that's true. He he does. He has some kind of mechanism where he bleeds when he's right. You know, he possesses the doll. So why wouldn't he, that blood be able to rush to some kind of little trunk of plastic that would be his penis? So this is a horrible. Thinking of this is I have a. I, I was <laughs> holding up a sign for years in between child's play three and bride of Chucky holding a sign that says, if Chucky can bleed, he can come. And then, um, uh, and then eventually and then you, they got there. Well, 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 I'm glad we'll be here to talk about seed of Chucky, a movie that begins with, with, so much in that movie. Um, I saw yeah. seed of Chucky with my goddamn father opening night. And <laughs> no. I, I feel like I still am apologizing for that. I feel like that that's next episode we have to each go around and talk about the most appalling thing we watched with our parents in a movie theater or on video. Oh, for no. sure. I keep, took my dad. Keep that locked everything. and loaded. Keep that I, locked I and just loaded. said that hilariously. I said I took my dad to everything as if he didn't take me to everything. Yeah. <laughs> and like that was the whole crux of the deal. I took, wait, I, wait, I did take my parents to see uh, the second Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> Annihilation. Yeah, because we were staying in some, we were like on a road trip and there was a theater that played movies for a dollar and they were playing it. And I was like, I could take them to see this Mortal Kombat movie and paid, you know, $3 for Oh, that's so sweet though. You like, but I, but I did their way actually take my parents to see a really shitty movie. That's awesome though. I love that. That that is really sweet. I'm thinking of much more disturbing things that we, that you should. You should all ruminate that for next next yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's not, that wasn't like a bad. That's no, that, yeah, that's adorable. Was like I a love that little story. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tiffany get thrown getting thrown in the oven. Don Mancini says as an homage to Trilogy of Terror, where Karen Allen or whoever it is throws a doll into the oven. Uh, Tiffany does some wonderful doll and pain noises here when she's being carried around <laughs> yes. and when she's burnt. Um, uh, Jesse mentioned that he loves when people are like futzing around with Chucky and like hitting him on stuff. This movie's got a few shots of that. Of when Jesse picks up Chucky, he hits his head on the way out. Tiffany yeah. gets bopped around a little bit. Also, yeah. I didn't mention one of my favorite shots when they're Tiffany's first time as a doll about to be discovered by a human. I think it's John Ritter. Uh, Chucky tells her to like act natural, and yeah. she does this big overextended like. Uh, hand over her head, like oh woe is me, acting style, like a silent yeah. movie or something. Fantastic, and it is hysterical, a hysterical bit. Um, I, I really fucking love this movie. Uh, anyway, uh, st- we're getting to the big graveyard showdown. Stephen King and Clive Barker. We're gonna have extended cameos as grave diggers. 
They were going to be talking about what's scary and what's not. And they were eventually going to get to saying Chucky's not scary. And then Chucky was going to show up and say, yeah, I'm a little doll with a gun and low tolerance for assholes. That's scary <laughs> now, isn't it? <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. You were more Nicholson than, than Dora. I was me, more which Nicholson. Is, which, is, which is, you know, I, I get it. That's good. That's, yeah. Yeah, well, dial up the DeVito. Great. I don't know how to yeah. do DeVito, but I can do Nicholson. <laughs> I really uh, like the idea of, of uh, Stephen King and Clive Barker as the Shakespearean gravedigger. Yes, yes, yes. A beautiful, uh, beautiful That was a scheduling happened. conflict that we missed th that out on. Chucky was obviously going to kill them. Uh, but this scene has great production design and lighting. It's very phantasmagorical and like very Hong Kong, like lightning-filled and exciting. Um, cut scene here. Jussie running through the cemetery, giving Tiffany mouth to mouth because she's dying. And she says, like, and he, he saves her basically. And she goes up blood and she says, why can't I ever get it on with a real good guy? And like it re reignites Wait, her love for him. I thought they, that happened in the movie, didn't it? Or maybe that does happen. That line happens. Yeah. The line, I don't really need any more scenes. This is like, I think this is where the movie really drags for me. And this is this like drawn out climax because i don't care about anything that happens at this point yeah and i'm just kind of like waiting for you know and then yeah a detective who we haven't seen ever shows up because that's <laughs> that subplot is cut uh yeah so basically they go to charles lee ray's grave find the obelisk thing or whatever and then do their little chant but uh i don't even remember what happens like they well, it doesn't work out <laughs> he, well she chucky's doing the incantation and K tiffany kisses him and grabs his knife and oh, that's right. stabs him and completes it, stops him from completing the incantation. And I think she says something, I think the Wikipedia says, summary says this, and this sounded familiar to me from watching it just a day ago, uh, that they belong dead, something like that. Yes. And I, she says, I, love, we, I love that. She says, love we belong dead and I'll see you in hell. But love they it. say that, yeah, that's a new twist on the line, I see you in hell, because in this, she means it sweetly. Yeah. She it's means it like, it's romantic. Like I'll, yeah. we're dead and I'll see you in hell and it'll be great. Yeah. And um, Tiffany I love again that shows a little more perspective and maturity than, I mean, she's also kind of a dummy, but she's more perspective, has more perspective and more maturity than Chucky. At least she sort of recognizes that this is bad, that this is all like against nature, <laughs> you know, even right. if she doesn't put it that way, she's eventually says like, yeah, we belong. We should just go. We need to go to hell together. We should not be living in these bodies. Maybe because she's gone through the hell of being a little burnt to the crisp. Uh, I love, by the way, her like seeing her through the oven window when she comes back yeah. from being burnt. Great stuff. Another uh, great do, Ronnie you shot. Yeah. And I love the like the little grace note of her of her finishing off Chucky. Well, say, or not finishing yeah. off, but but she <laughs> She tries and then he stabs her to death. But yeah. um but yeah, she gets a moment to stop him from completing his evil plan. Yeah, I'd like that. So I found this interesting. Uh they had to change the ending uh, because Jesse and Jade were initially gonna the movie was gonna end with them going off as fugitives and like the cop letting them go, like the cop running, like catching them and just being like, All right, you kids, run out of here. Instead, they added that line where he's like, uh everything's fine these kids didn't do it or whatever yeah but yeah. i don't even remember how this wraps up chucky and you, well, well, he does let them go basically he just he lets them go, go but also jade jade shoots chucky and yes. kills there's a whole thing there's also the great moment where like chucky's yeah. like fine i'll be back because 
I'm always it's like, like, yeah. It's like dying, but I'll I'll be back. So there's acknowledgement. Yeah, dying can't. fucking sucks, but I'll be back or whatever. Yeah. And then he gets shot, which is not very cinematically interesting. I'm always bored by that. Uh, and then we get the scene of Tiffany giving birth to. They very casually mention this and just move on. They say that that baby is a pig that's been electronically altered, <laughs> and that Wait, really that's scares what we're me. Seeing? Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah, wow. they say that little baby that comes out of her is a pig that's electronically altered. I, if anyone wants me to double check that, I need to listen to the commentary again because I just <laughs> it just kind of happened and they breezed by it and I was like, okay, I guess that's a pig. Um, <laughs> on the commentary track, they keep talking about the sequel us uh, that ends up being Seed, but they keep calling it Son of Chucky, yeah. and it's interesting to hear them talk about it because I'm assuming this commentary was recorded in like '98 or '99, and he had it all worked out then. And they didn't get to it for like so many years. Um, anyway, he said where Bride was a parody of romantic relationships, parodying natural born killers and Bonnie and Clyde. The next one will be a parody of domestic dramas like Ordinary People or Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, the family that slays together stays together. He said will be the tagline, which I think it was. And uh, was it? I don't know if it was, I but it sounds familiar enough to me. It went in a very different direction with that movie. Yeah, uh, the family. Yeah, the family dynamic breakdown is what he was talking about then. That it, yeah, definitely changed a lot. Um, oh, one other thing that I found fascinating because I've already mentioned I would love the idea of Chucky actually putting his soul into Andy. They cut a scene where Chucky successfully put his soul into Jesse. That happened in the original version at the end, and I think it must have been you know resurrect or fixed quickly. But there was a point where Chucky's voice was coming out of Jesse, and uh, Don said it was great and fun, and I love that idea still. And I hope we get one where that happens. There is a lot of chaos in that last scene, and like, yeah, it's very unclear. Like it's like you can tell stuff was cut, and like it's the most it's the hardest part of the movie to follow. It's not a difficult movie to follow. But like yeah. it's very weird, and also like I think that why I'm so kind of mad about it is like I I really enjoy the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's very smart. But like no one cares about the amulet, whatever whatever they're trying to get. Yeah, yeah. and thing no around one, his like, neck. Yeah. No one cares about Jesse and Jade, and like even sort of conclusion of like of of you know Chucky and Tiffany dying doesn't matter because as they acknowledge, they're not really going to stay dead. Um, but I think like the birth is so great that it sort of redeems the the bullshit that comes before it because it's such a like yeah. you know, weird yes. fucked up thing that happens yeah it, 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 it's a, yeah sorry go <laughs> yeah. ahead <laughs> uh, yeah it's like a it's a perfect button on I mean, and I think Lewis you're totally right that not only it, I think that like it was indicative of how little that stuff before that really matters is that yeah they have this plan to like get in the bodies of these young lovers and take their bodies but like. It, when it doesn't work out, it just seems like the dolls don't even care. Like Ch Tiffany doesn't want to go through with it uh, ultimately because she attacks Chucky. And then Chucky, when he's kind of faced with, you know, his plan failing in the past, he's been like, no, God damn it. Fucking fucking bitch or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and this one, he's just kind of like, well, I'll be back. <laughs> like, yeah. And then they he's, shoot him, you know, it's not now. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I guess he, yeah, he guess he has gained some perspective after all, but it's hard to feel like it's a really dramatic turn. It kind of, in retrospect, act, you know, sort of makes the movie feel less. Not, I don't, you know, it's not like a dramatically serious movie, but whatever 
you know, MacGuffin slash plot turn you're following there. Chucky himself basically tells you like, eh, don't worry about it, man. Like it's, it's like, yeah, there was sort of this idea that there was like, uh, you know, in the second movie, he's like, we waited too long and now I can't transfer my soul. And then they kind of go back on that in the third movie. Cause he's trying to transfer a soul into a new body. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I think like the mythology has always sort of bored Donald Choose your King. own mythology and, to believe. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of it's it's clearly doesn't matter very much here. Um and I think like the the absurdity of the next movie speaks to how little they cared about like that particular storyline. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, you're right. You're right. The birth thing is is like is, is such a killer ending that it sort of like brings it back around. <laughs> it's crazy that it took so long to get the seed. Seed didn't come out till what, two thousand four? Six years later. All right. uh, We've talked a lot about Bride. Oh, one other thing I didn't mention that I'd be mad if I didn't. Universal let Ronnie Yu bring his own team from Hong Kong. So we worked with his longtime DP and editor. And I think that helps explain why this movie has such a, honestly, what I think is a great look. It's very unique. It's different than every other movie in this franchise. It has that like high contrast, sharp, uh, lightning filled visuals. Um, Yeah. I just think it has a great look, and and uh, I think Jesse in his little letterbox or on Twitter or something said like, "What happened to Ronnie Yu?" And it's like, "What happened to Ronnie Yu? He must have gone." I think he lives in Hong Kong and doesn't make a lot of stuff well, anymore. He hasn't made a lot. I mean, he made he did make this and Freddy versus Jason, which you would think make would make him a hot commodity, and they, they would give him a Texas Chainsaw reboot or something. In between those, as Brett pointed out to me, he did Formula Fifty One, a movie I've never seen, but is on all of the free streaming services, literally Tubi. Pluto TV, ITV <laughs> TV. You can watch it anywhere. If that I wasn't movie... so this week, I would have watched it. But uh, and then he did Freddy versus Jason, and then did like a couple other Hong Kong movies, but not very many for the past. He also past did that Jet Li. Like, ha- was it American or was it a Hong Kong movie? Oh, Fearless. Fearless. I think that was. Yeah. I think it was Hong Kong. Yeah, or at least yeah. it was not American. Right. Uh, but it was. It was a big. It was like released here as a big wide release, which is not. Was not always. The I case can't remember if that's one of the ones like Hero that was like produced by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, right. In the ads. Right, right. Can I add some historical context Please. for Bride of Chucky? Uh, like just uh, in terms of when it came out, it, just because I love this stuff. It was. It came out October sixteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. It was a photo finish at the box office. I imagine on Friday, I don't have the day day by day, but I bet on Friday, Bride of Chucky was ahead. But it lost. It was number two, very similar per screen average, but but Practical Magic had more screens and ultimately was able to edge it out. And speaking of which movies that people of a certain demographic really love, and I am baffled. The Craft? (laughs) <laughs> every single one. I wish there was a more. There were more good witch movies. Practical Magic. Uh, I caught up with a bunch of years ago, and it sucks. It's not nearly as good as Bride of Chucky. Um, but it what a nice. Both, time. both got very bad reviews. So yeah, it's like this was something that was an accepted thing, and I certainly have been on the team reevaluation. You know, team reevaluate this movie for so many movies over the years. So it's but it's just weird when there's one that because I'm I feel like I'm pretty forgiving. So when there's one comes along like Practical Magic or Hocus Pocus, where it's like no, don't reevaluate. This. This was always bad. Um, but I will say 
what a nice Halloween season that we don't really get as much. I mean, last year was a pandemic, but I feel like, you know, we don't get as many horror movies in October. Or like I always complain movies. about that. Yeah. yeah. There's, always a, there's always a doldrums in October yeah. when everyone's jonesing for a horror movie. Here you got, a, you got a witch movie that's like a, you know, gentler movie, but like still spooky, certainly. And Bride of Chucky and the popular ghost movie Beloved also came out this weekend, though it did yes. not do as that's well. Right. And Urban Legend has been in theaters for four weeks at this point. Yes. And, yeah. So um, there were lots of horror things yeah. to, to choose from. S- Simon Birch is still out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you really want to get fucking scared. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The top top 10 is interesting. It's Practical Magic, Bride of Chucky, Ants in week two, uh, Rush Hour in week five, uh, Beloved in week one, What Dreams May Come, uh, yeah. week oh, three. God unbearable movie yeah i remember that is that like a kevin costner who's in that it's robert Rob williams. williams oh god i don't think i've seen that movie oh, um you should watch it because it's completely fucking deranged it's it is deranged i i remember seeing um i missed writer chucky in theaters because my as i mentioned my freshman year is my freshman year in college they didn't have a theater built in our in our college town yet, but I was in New York the weekend before Bride of Chucky came out for my 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 fall break, and I saw a double feature of Ants and What Dreams May Come at 68th oh, Street. The first time I'd ever you. been there. What, what a, a day! Ball. What a day! Uh, but yeah, uh, that movie is really fucked up. <laughs> after What Dreams May Come, Night at the Roxbury, Urban Legend, Ronin, and number ten's a real banger. Holy man. <laughs> There were a lot of bad, bad movies. Night of yes. the Roxbury, also unwatchable. Very bad, yes. I love Will Ferrell, and it is borderline unwatchable. I love Chris <laughs> Kattan. And it's, so, has anyone ever said that? I'm just kidding. Yes, no. I think his mom um, probably has. I don't know. I hope. I like Chris Kattan. Yeah, um, me too. Corky Romano, I owned on DVD for many years. Bought it from a Sam Goody for way I, too much money. I do feel like, I mean, the fact that this movie was critically panned, I don't know. Like, I don't know if people wanted something that was more traditionally scary or if it just like, like, I don't, I, and I haven't gone through and read all the reviews. Uh, but I do think like, I'm glad that instead of kind of pivoting back, they doubled down. They were like, yes. we're going to keep, we're going to keep doing this weird shit and you're going to like it. Yeah. Well, I think it was sort of ahead of its time. And like, as much as it was, you know, in the wake of scream, I think it was, Hard for a lot of, I mean, I think the horror critic situation 20 something years ago is so it was like, this is 23 years ago was so different. Like the crit, who, like who movie critics were, I mean, as much as it still is a white male profession, mostly to, or a, a non-profession, a white male non-profession, mostly <laughs> um, it's not a real job guys. Uh, but, but 1998, like I, I don't have the numbers on it, but I can, tell you it was like a lot of 50 year old white dudes and horror movies just didn't get quite as much the kind of fair shake as they get now i think now there's a lot more kind of respect for them and a lot more range of i mean their whole websites i mean there there was fangoria obviously 98 but there's not like multiple websites or podcasts as it were like exploring horror movies in great detail so the the bar was so much like you had to go you had such a clear such a high bar you had, you had to be like as clever and genre redefining and smart as scream and if it was even a little bit less you know than that it was too crude or not smart enough or whatever like plots of perfectly good horror movies just were not appreciated in this era and as also it was coming off of an era where 
there weren't as many horror movies in the mainstream and all kinds of things. But yeah, I agree, Lewis. Like it's, I'm glad they didn't, you know, let themselves get, I mean, I think so many horror movies got panned, they probably wouldn't have phased them that much. Right. Um, and I'm so glad that they didn't try to make it more respectable or something as, as they go into the next one, like, because this is such an improvement over the third one and the, and the second one, and arguably even over the first one, that it would be a huge shame if you would like kind of, you know, tried to make it something else just because a bunch of like middle-aged dudes who never like horror movies didn't care for it. <laughs> Agreed. Right on. All right. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. That was our treatise on Bride of Truck Trucky. Jesus. Bride of Chucky. We will be back next week, or if it's an off week, we'll be back with a new release. Uh, but we'll be back with Seed of Chucky, formerly known as Son of Chucky. Uh, that change, that name change actually is quite meaningful. And we will talk about <laughs> why that is. Next week with uh, Louis Peitzman returning, Jesse returning, and first-time guest Laura Jacoves joining us to talk about Seed of Chucky. Uh, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash newflashpodcast. Give us five stars on iTunes, but also write a nice thing because it, it, it gives me life. Um, <laughs> and that's all. Thanks. Bye.
death is not the end of the new flesh. Along with the new flesh. I was hoping you'd be back.